Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to our second episode of The Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. I'm Arthur Staple. I'll be joined later in the show by former Ranger, current ESPN analyst Dominic Moore to talk uh, Henrik Lundqvist's big night, which he was in Garden for, and some talk about the current Rangers uh, and how they're doing. First, just want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. For our first segment, I'm going to bring in our producer, Chris Flannery. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk uh, some Rangers midseason, even though we're a little bit past the halfway point. We're at the All-Star break, which is really a two-week Ranger break. They played uh, last Tuesday, um, probably one of their more impressive wins of the season where they they rallied to beat the Panthers 5-2, uh, go into the break on a good note. Um, this week, I'm sure that most Ranger players are scattered someplace warm. Uh, and then they'll get back together to have a few practices before they get back on the ice against the Bruins on the 15th. So I think for me, Chris, the first thing that I want to talk about is Chris Kreider. Um, oh, yeah. Legally, 33 goals in 46, 47 games. Uh, he's on pace for whatever, 54 or so, which would be, you know, Yarmy Yager holds, holds that team record from about 15 years ago. And can he beat that, the pace he's going at? I mean, yeah, the, at the pace he's going, and yeah, he could be, he could beat that record, which is really incredible because having you know watched that Yager season, it seemed like he was just scoring every night. I mean, he was just dominating the league that whole season, and now you know, kind of the run that that Kreider's been on the whole season, and now that um, you know, I think because Zibanejad's really found his stride, um, yeah, they're on absolute fire right now. So I think the it seemed kind of unthinkable, and now. It seems possible, and uh, you know, I, maybe he'll get close. I don't know, but it'll be it'll be a really interesting uh, stretch run to see if he can get close to that fifty four. It's worries me that they're on a, a, this long a break right now because they're just they were on such absolute fire. I hope they went somewhere really warm uh, and they stay uh, they stay hot going and coming out of that break. But yeah, well, it's, uh, it's possible. Well, given Adam Fox was out with an injury that may not have he might not have been back if they had games after the All Star break, so. Probably not a bad time if you're going to pick a time to be, ha, take a couple weeks off. He can heal. Capo Caco can heal. Philip Heedle missed a few games. He can heal. Um, you know, I think we talked in the show last week. Missing those, uh, missing Fox obviously is a hole that cannot be filled, and they obviously struggled quite a bit outside of the last two periods of the Florida game yep. without him. But missing those other two guys, even though they've been disappointments in the production department, the forward group just does not look like a real NHL 
Stanley Cup contending forward group. You know, you've got your your big four um, in Zibanejad and Kreider and Strom and Panarin and, you know, Lafreniere has been had some good moments. Barkley Goodrow's had some good moments. And the rest of it is kind of like this is not a contending team's lineup. You, you know, you look at the Panthers uh, and the team that they brought in and they've got some no-name guys at the bottom of their top 12. But, man, they all work hard and they're all a threat to score. And that's really what you need. And, and the Rangers, you know, we've. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more as we get closer to the trade deadline. If the Rangers hadn't done anything by the time we get out of this break uh, before the 15th, that um, there is a need for them to to shore that spot up because you can see one or two injuries, not even to one of their big guys, really alters the way they play. Getting back to Kreider, um, I don't know if he's going to get 54. I have a feeling he's going to break Yager's power play goal record of 24, which was also set in that season because yep. the Rangers are whatever 26% on the power play. They only, they only need two or three a game, two or three chances a game to get a goal. So, and he seems to be the one that scores it every time. So Absolutely. if that keeps going, uh, it's an impressive run. The other guy that's not setting records, but certainly seems like he's uh, the leading Ranger contender for for a trophy at the end of this season is is Igor Shesterkin. You know, you, you look at um, some of the metrics that uh, Steve Aliquette's ClearSight Analytics that they do. Uh, he's leading the league in goals saved above expectation in terms of their stats. The public data sites, same thing. This guy is clearly the the top performing goalie in the league so far. Um, is he the best one right now? I, I gotta say yes. You can agree with me on that one. Yeah, I think I think I'll, I'll go with you on that and say he's the best goal in the league right now. I, just the amount of like high danger chances that he gets, and that that he obviously you said he leads the league in goal saved above, uh, above expectation. Like you can just see it every night. I mean, even if you're not following analytics that closely, you can just watch him and you go, "Wow, he shouldn't have been able to stop that," and he did, and he makes it look real easy. Just the way he plays the puck, his ability to. Um, you know, bail out the defense sometimes, uh, being able to move the puck up ice and, and get the team back uh, out of their zone. It, it's, um, I think we talked about it on the last episode. It's really incredible that this, they went from Lundquist to Shesterkin, who, you know, is, um, you know, obviously has a long way to go before you really compare him to Lundquist, but he's very dynamic back there and he, he plays a different game than Henrik. Um, but same in the, in, in the same regard that he, he saves a lot of, a lot of shots. So, <laughs> yeah. On the I mean, on the flip side, which was the thing that hounded Lundqvist throughout his career, is that if you even drop it down by half, you know, if he gives up one more goal every couple of games in a seven-game series, that probably isn't going to turn out too well for the Rangers. Even though they have that high-end, high-skilled guys, they just give up way too many chances. So they, you can't, you know, uh, Gerard Gallant says it. I write it. Everybody who watches the team says it to themselves. They can't keep winning this way. But for now, uh, as long as he doesn't wear out, and, and certainly it, it's going to be a busy schedule when they get back, you know, in the last two and a half months of the season uh, to have 35 games in that span. Um, so they probably need a little bit more from Alexander Georgiev, who's kind of fallen off again a little bit of late. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it's hard to argue against Shisterkin being, uh, you know, probably the, the the favorite for the Vezina. And I think, you know, as a, as a I don't vote on the Vezina, but I do vote on the Hart Trophy. It's always a, a real debate about, uh, goalies getting hard trophy votes as, as as MVP of the season. I mean, it, certainly the Rangers wouldn't be anywhere close to where they are without Shesterkin, and that's one of the criteria for being an MVP. However, they do have their own award for best goalie, so it's <laughs> right. sometimes it's hard to it's hard to parse those things out. I don't think he's going to win the hard trophy, but if they keep going this way and the Rangers end up at the top of the division, say, then maybe you know he'll get a few votes. 
Um, yeah, for sure. You know, I was going to say, Arthur, sorry to, to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Just, go, you know, going back to the Panthers game a little bit and like how, you know, that game started out, um, you know, the Rangers obviously really turned it around in the second and third and ended up winning that game. They have a tendency to make it look worse than it is though you know because they're a little bit of a they have so much skill up front that they overpass sometimes they don't shoot the puck as much as they could um and i think that's what you see in the panthers i think they have that kind of mentality ingrained where everybody up and down the lineup is just willing to fire pucks on goal when they have the chance to do that and you know i think it was very heartening as a rangers fan to see them turn that game around, be able to, you know, obviously they get on the power play and they they score a couple goals that way, but they stood up physically. They ended up playing a little bit more aggressive, getting pucks in deep, forechecking and getting pucks on net. And I think it's important to see them play that way um, when that's something they need to do generally. But when you see it done against a real, like a legit contender in the Panthers, um, you know, it feels good. So I think it, it was nice to see that. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing that we can talk about, um, you know, whether this team really is a legitimate threat to not, you know, can they win a Stanley Cup? Maybe things would have to break right for them. I think if you look at the teams that are kind of solidified in the top eight in the East, um, you know, there's difficult matchups for them in any in any playoff series. Yeah. You you don't really, you know, outside of Shesterkin stealing some games, you know, maybe they'd be favored against the Penguins. Maybe they'd be, you know, a team they haven't seen yet this year. Maybe uh, a team that's, you know, uh, Washington, if they're struggling and the Rangers can can finish in the top two, maybe that's a situation where, they, you know, they've certainly got an edge in goal and, and, and that kind of negates the edge that the Caps have. Uh, but every other team in that that they could potentially face, even the teams in the Atlantic that they've had pretty good success against if they dropped all the way to one of the wild card spots. I'm not feeling so confident that they'd be favored in any of those series. So, so no, can totally we say agree. can we say that this team is for real right now? Um, my, you know, you you give your feelings. I'll I'll save mine for when you're done. Yeah, I mean, I think no, I think you're right. I, I think again, we, we we've seen it so many times. Even the the Rangers teams that went to the final, like the you know, we're going to talk about with Dominic Moore in a little bit. That they, they weren't favored to do that. You know, I I think um, I think you can make the argument that the this current iteration with uh, like you said Panarin, Kreider, Zabanajad, Strom and then even to a lesser extent Lafreniere, Goudreau's filling in like I think the amount of skill pure skill that this team has Adam Fox obviously can't leave him out I think they're skill wise a stronger team than some of the teams that went uh oh, yeah, to yeah. the final yeah. and went deep in those playoff runs again it is depth um I think when you slot everybody into the right spot which is a big Gerard Gallant thing I think that's why he's had success um coaching this team is that he puts people in the right spot they play their role and they know what they're doing when everybody's there they're a much more formidable team when you put ryan reeves on the fourth line when he gets out there with rooney um you know and whoever you're going to put on the wing you know be a dryden hunt or mckeg or whoever's out there with them then they can really get the ball rolling because it for it pins teams in and and um you know then then you get your top line out there with a favorable matchup but yeah when guys are out of position um due to injury which is going to happen over the course of the season and certainly in the playoffs yeah i think you know i think you can see that there's some deficiencies obviously in in the bottom 6 that being said trade deadlines coming up they have their pieces and you know maybe a couple of moves and yeah maybe this team could 
could win a playoff round or two for sure, especially with uh, Shostakin and Goal. I, I, for real is a, is a tough uh, phrase, and I know I, I threw it on the rundown. I mean, I think <laughs> I think they I think their record is better than what they actually are if you put them in a in a series, but they're not. They're certainly a team that could do down. It, it's not a it's not a good matchup. You wouldn't want to see this team because they can hurt you in a number of different ways, even if you're out playing them for large stretches, which we've seen, uh, you know, throughout the regular season so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're one third line forward and they're one bottom pair defenseman away from being a team that's really fearsome. Like you said, totally. you, you need yeah. you need need guys slotted in the right spots. Um, you know, whether Alexi Lafreniere belongs in the top six or on the third line, uh. That's a detail for Gerard Gallant to figure out, and I don't think he's. I don't think it's either way. I don't think there's. I don't think there's any kind of referendum on a twenty-year-old guy that if he's not playing in the top six, then he's not. Then he's a bust. Like I don't think that. I think he's developing into, still developing into the kind of player that he wants to be in the NHL. Same with Capo Caco, but you need those two guys in the top nine for sure, and you can't have Dryden Hunt playing in the top six and call yourself a contender. You know, I, I don't want to refer back to the Islanders too much, but the Islanders uh, lost Anders Lee in the middle of last season and put Leo Komarov on the top line with Matthew Barzal and came within one goal of the Stanley Cup finals. Right. I don't think you can, right. I don't think that's a, that's a template you want to duplicate. Uh, you know, you have to have your high end guys be able to, to roll out there and, you know, and, and you have to have some, some conscience and some responsibility, obviously to play both ends of the ice. But um, like you said, this team has incredible high-end skill, especially on the power play. But at five-on-five, five, they just have to become a deeper team that can that can roll four lines. And I think that's the source of all of Gallant's frustration and all the flipping guys around, whether it's injuries or COVID or ineffectiveness. He's trying to find a way to have four lines be out yeah. there. And it just hasn't happened really with any consistency. So that to me is – We've seen a lot of the guys that they have to bring up. You know, Morgan Barron's got been in and out and been okay. They obviously don't really have a huge, hugely positive opinion on him since they keep pulling him out. Yeah. Um, you know, and they've been okay defensively without Patrick Nemeth. Braden Schneider, I think, has been a real revelation. When Fox comes back, that bumps Schneider back down. I think that that balances things out defensively. But I think if you can find someone to to replace Nemeth on a regular basis down there, um, if you can find someone to shore up a third line, whether it's with Goodrow and Lafreniere there or Heedle there or whatever, um, then I think you're talking. And, and I think, you know, nobody will be saying like, yeah, they don't really they're not really as good as their record. Like then then you're thinking this is a team you'd be scared of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Uh, so we'll be back in a few with uh, the great Dominic Moore to talk Henrik Lundqvist, uh, the Rangers current day and a little bit of Smashfest, one of his great charity initiatives. We'll be back in a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we'll get back to the show here now, and we're very excited. Uh, our second episode of The Garden Faithful and our first guest, uh, two-time Ranger, longtime NHLer, current ESPN analyst, and uh, all-around good guy, also the, the founder and uh, proprietor of Smashfest, one of the great charity <laughs> programs in the offseason. 
It's Dominic Moore. Dominic, welcome to the show. Proprietor, I like that. Yeah, that's a good I, one. I got to use that. That's a good that way one. to put it. You're kind of the the do it all <laughs> person for that. So um, we'll get to we'll talk about some Smash Fest uh, at the end here. But first, uh, I know you were back in the garden for Henrik Lundqvist's retirement night, uh, along with a lot of your your old teammates. You uh, had a very unique perspective on Hank's career coming in when he came in right after the lockout and then when you came back to the Rangers later on, um, the run to the finals, which I guess would be kind of the pinnacle of Lundqvist's career. What can you tell us from that first time that you were with him uh, early on and then kind of when you circled back almost a decade later to, to see where he was? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a wild ride, um, you know, coming in as rookies together I mean, I was a third rounder. He was a seventh rounder. Um, and I was coming out of college. I remember vividly, you know, being at training camp with him and he had this kind of quiet confidence, like no one had really heard of him, but you know, he knew who he was and, mm-hmm. uh, it took an injury to kind of get his chance, uh, to, to Weeksy. Um, and I still remember the, the early chance from the upper deck at MSG. Um, and I was like, they don't even really know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 15 years later, they're still chanting his name and the history books for Rangers goaltenders have been re- rewritten. Um, it was truly special for me to, you know, to play with him then as a rookie to come back and spend those, you know, special years together, the runs we had, we've, we've stayed close uh, throughout all of those years. and and now as we both go into the broadcasting world. So it was a special evening, to say the least, uh, last Friday. And, you know, it was so long ago. I I did I was lucky enough to talk to, to Kevin Weeks and to Stephen Valiquette, uh, you know, guys that helped that kind of shared the goalie position with him or backed him up mostly during that those early years. And, and kind of, you know, he wasn't quite the, the fashion icon, the perfectly put together guy, but he they both had the sense that he was he was special. Did did you guys even after, even before he kind of took over the net uh, during that 0506 season, did you did you sense that you know the the guy that like stayed on the ice late in practice and was you know hated giving up goals in practice as much as he did in games was that guy there for you you know when when you guys were just starting out? Yeah, I mean, I would say he had the fashion then too. Like he <laughs> he had the pointy he had the pointy shoes right out of the gate, and uh, that was true as a rookie and that that to me is one of the the best qualities of Henrik is to, he's always just been authentically himself and i know it sounds ridiculous but a rookie uh, a rookie goaltender from sweden to have pointy shoes and to be not afraid to embrace the fashion it's a small thing that says a lot about who he is he's he's confident in himself he he just wants to be who he is and do his thing a lot of times rookies come in and they're very self-conscious. They want to fit in. They want to make sure they cater to the crowd. Um, Hank wasn't worried about any of that. He was worried about being the best he could be, the best goaltender he could be. And he's, as you mentioned, as you referred to, the most competitive individual I've ever been around. Just kind of bookending that. When you come back in 13-14 and, and, uh, and that season did not start out the way that you guys, I would imagine you coming back, you were coming off of some pretty good runs uh, in Montreal and in Tampa. I'm sure you felt like, you know, Alain Vigneault was coming in there. The team had, had started to put together some good seasons. Um, some of the guys that were drafted, you know, way back when you were getting started before you left were just, you know, were kind of mainstays then. Um, 
but it was kind of a rocky start to that season uh, when you went all the way to the Stanley Cup. Could did you kind of see the Stanley? You know what what happened? Was that in the cards, or were you guys kind of like, "Geez, I don't I don't know if we're going to put this thing together here." It's a good question. I think there are a number of things that came together. So I don't think anyone predicted we would have been in the finals at the beginning of that year. Um, I think, you know, a few factors come to mind. Obviously we started the season on the road, uh, the, you know, the garden being renovated. Uh, there was certainly no expectation that we, we would have a massive winning record at the end of that. I mean, uh, I think it stood us well, though, to be on the road. We were able to gel together. A new coach came in with new systems. Um, I think that it took time for us to kind of get comfortable with that. I think we benefited from the combination of what AV brought to the table with his new systems, but we also benefited in in some way from the leftover ethic that was left by John Tortorella. I think there was, that was still ingrained in the team and those two factors kind of combined and we just kind of got better and better as the season went on. Um, I think that's a bit AV's thing. Like he, he, he sticks to his process. We, we had a talented group. We know we had a talented group. Um, the depth we had on forward obviously was a big part of that in the playoffs. Um, I don't think any of us would have predicted, though, at the start of the season, we would have ended up where we did. And I think, you know, kind of circling it back around to to Henrik, you know, the the game, you scored the only goal in game six of the conference final win to get you guys to the Stanley Cup. And Henrik made that pretty incredible save off of Thomas Vanek, uh, I think when it was still nothing, nothing in that game where he kind of, you know, did yep. some sort of sort of like half forward roll and managed to get it with his with his paddle. Um <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of cite that as their favorite save and certainly it was maybe the most important save he made that, that series and that whole playoff run, how dialed in was he and how, and how much did you guys kind of lean on the fact that you had one of the best goalies in the world? Uh, even if, like you said, you maybe weren't considered to be a Stanley cup final contending team. Well, you know, the Rangers in the Henrik era were always about Henrik. I, I think there were lots of, lots of seasons where the, Rangers might not have made the playoffs without Hank and uh, he just was that good. And there was no different for us then. I, I do think that we had a really good group of players. Uh, the chemistry was good. The depth was good. We were getting contributions from everywhere. Um, you know, that save obviously is iconic uh, to have the puck change direction after he had already committed uh, and to come back. It's just, unbelievable uh, that will live on in my mind for forever uh and yeah i i just that was a very special spring uh for me personally having taken you know time away from the game and coming back to that season back to new york where i be- begun my career uh those are memories I'll, I'll cherish forever you know it's it's pretty awesome you know being being there for henrik knight it was an emotional night at msg um, you know, connecting Hank with, you know, the heroes of the past. Um, but it's also fun for us, the guys that come back. I know Callie was there and Girardi was there and a few others. Uh, you know, I went down, we were up top with the Hank's friends and family, but I went down to see some of my personal friends uh, during the second and third period. 
Uh, and you know, I was, I was mobbed by Ranger fans and it was awesome. Uh, all of them wanting to talk about game six and, uh, you know, it, it lives on, uh, as the most special time in my career and, and in a lot of Ranger fans, uh, minds as well. Now I'll kind of adjust because in your current role with ESPN, you certainly keep up with, with the current Rangers, um, who maybe, you know, have kind of hit this all-star break and it's a little bit longer break for them since they didn't have too many games to make up due to the, the COVID situation this season. Um, but this is a good team again. And, uh, you know, you kind of left as they were beginning their rebuild. Um, and it seems to have kind of circled back around to being a team that's uh, that's got to be taken a little bit more seriously now. What do you see in the current Rangers that, uh, that you like uh, and maybe some things that you think they might need to fill in some gaps to really be considered a contender? Ah, well, the goaltending is clearly a strength. <laughs> and that, that for me was not something that I thought would happen so quickly. Uh, I think Benny Allaire deserves a lot of credit once again. Um, you know, uh, he, he he's the single, he had the single most influence on Hank. Um, and he's just a master. I, I think people underestimate the pressure that uh, Shesterkin's coming in trying to fill the shoes of a legend and the way I think Benny has helped him navigate that not to take any any credit away from the player um, but I think Benny certainly had a positive influence there for him to adjust so quickly and thrive in the role um, and then I think we're finally seeing that you know that that high talent and skill level come through uh, I think you know Jarglan has really tapped into the confidence of the group I think there was a lot of self self doubt, I would call it in the last couple of years. Yes, there was this rebuild and, you know, I think everyone kind of just felt like, I don't know if they just, that the doubt creeps in because you've had a losing, losing culture for a few years. Um, but I think Gallant is clearly, I mean, you can see the spring in everybody, everybody's step. Um, and I think the chemistry has developed, obviously, Prides is filling the net with the help of some pretty talented playmakers. Uh, one interesting story is that, uh, you know, at Smashfest this past summer in, in Connecticut, uh, Foxy was there, Crides was there. And one of my friends uh, told me, relayed me this story that he asked Crides if he's going to get 30 this year. And Crides stared at him right in the eye and said, I'm going to get 40. <laughs> so uh some you know cried's clearly had was a man on a mission well he might even be selling himself a little short too you know exactly exactly this, <laughs> this is a guy that you played with you know again in, in your three years in your return to the rangers from 13 to 16 and he is a guy who you know i think a lot of people john tortorella's first pro coach with the rangers where he came in you know Kreider came in to that playoffs uh in 2012 right from from bc and and you know kind of hit the ground running uh, in that postseason, and really, you know, you see a guy who's got his physical attributes, the speed, the size, and you think this is a guy, the sky's the limit. And for some people, I think, who watch the Rangers, and I'm sure some people who have coached and been around the Rangers on the inside, there, there's been a feeling of this guy has had more to give. Um, you know him pretty well. You, you know, he's a unique person in the world of hockey. He's kind of very much his own person, it seems. Um when you see him having the kind of year that he's having now and maybe the impact that as an older player that he didn't have as a younger player, what, what do you think of all that? Yeah. A lot, lot to dig into there. 
So Crides is obviously one of the most gifted physical specimens uh, in NHL history, if you ask me. I mean, most explosive skater, uh, just an absolute beast, um, work ethic second to none. But with all of that, to me, his best, his greatest strength was always that his intellectual side and he's a student of the game and he's very, very intelligent. I think that is, that is hindered him and it might be kind of what you're getting at where people expected more i think it's hindered him in in some situations in the past where maybe he's overthought things Mm -hmm. um but i think the way he's taken this step this year comes from that intellectual student of the game side he's he's taught himself to be the goal scorer he is and part of it is developing that chemistry, particularly on the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, especially on the power play situations, that that's that's an intellectual thing, figuring out how and where you're going to find more scoring opportunities, not not only yourself, but working with your line mates to develop that. Uh, he's always been a, that kind of student of the game. I think he's literally, when you talk about gifted goal scorers and you can't teach that, I think he's literally taught himself to be a master around the net um, and he's done it from an intellectual perspective. It's interesting. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, like I said, you know, I think a lot of people, when you, when you talk to him, um, for any length of time, you see that there's a guy who's the, the wheels are have never stopped turning with him. And that's, uh, you know, sometimes can be a detriment with, with certain situations, but, uh, but probably not as you get, as you get further in your career. Um, do you feel like this team, it's very top heavy. You mentioned Adam Fox, Chris Kreider. Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Ryan Strom. Those are kind of the the guys that make the offense go. Uh, And then around them, you're trying to find the right supporting cast. And, and, you know, and obviously you can't leave Igor Shosturkin out of it either. But but in terms of their skaters, do they have enough depth to be a team that can win a few seven-game series? Um, Their underlying numbers are pretty terrible for a team with their record. Uh, yeah. They get kind of outshot on a lot of games. They get outchanced in many games. They have uh, in a lot of games recently when when Fox was missing. But do they have enough depth? And is there when you look around the league and the teams that you, you've seen, uh, you know, in your work in your analyst work, do you feel like they have, do have a lot of cap space too coming up for the for the trade deadline in uh, in about six weeks? Do, is there a player or two or someone that you could see like there's a perfect marriage to kind of give them a little bit more? solidity through their top nine uh yeah okay so make you put your gm (laughs) hat on here yeah i think you're right obviously about those underlying numbers i mean you look at the goals saved above expected you know it's it's far and away the biggest number uh that jumps off the page for me but it's also a function you know like the rangers skill level uh you know, that through that rebuild, the skill level, you know, the stockpiling of those kinds of assets, hey, those guys are going to finish more opportunities than the yeah. average player. Um, and so if that can continue, well, then maybe you have something. Obviously, there's always the the idea that in the playoffs, the game changes um, and you, you can't just rely on pure skill. The teams don't give up a lot. Uh, things like face-offs become more important. Uh, that's clearly not a strength of the team. Um, you know, I, I think size, uh, 
on defense is an issue. Um, you look at a team like Nashville, you know, and they've got the the herd line. These just three beasts that have skill and size that can just grind you out down low. Like I, I think that's a tough ask for uh, Foxy or Lindgren to defend those guys uh, in in large minutes. Um, but also getting getting to the trade question. Um, you know, I just, I just covered the Vegas golden Knights here. They've got some decisions to make when I right. comes back, they have to get rid of a good player. When I look around the league, the Rangers seem like the, the ideal trade partner. They are a team with cap space. They're a team that maybe ahead of expectations are looking like they might contend for something this year. I can see them potentially making a move if, if it's uh, an opportunistic scenario where they can add something without giving up too much uh, at the end of the day, it's just going to be about dollars, which the Rangers never seem to be short of. Um, so I think if, if Vegas, for instance, is needing to clear 5 million and Riley Smith is available, uh, why wouldn't they be interested? Uh, yeah. He could be an incredible addition to that lineup and really, add a layer of, of impact there. So we'll, we'll soon find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a guy I agree. Makes a lot of sense. You know, has a history with Gallant plays the right side, proven playoff performer and a couple of his different is, you know, in Florida, in Vegas. Yeah. He, uh, and if you look around, like there's, there's not that many trade partners. Like if, yeah. if you're Vegas, there really aren't that many, you know, phone calls to make. Like some, most of the teams are up against the cap. They can't add that kind of, dollars or the rest of them they're not they're not contending so it really narrows it down uh to the rangers and maybe one or two others yeah yeah i agree uh well we'll finish with you dominic uh about something that i know is is super important to you and has become very important important uh off-season function for a lot of your former teammates and and for the nhlpa and and uh and that's smash fest your your annual ping pong tournament i know you had to kind of adjust due to the pandemic last year having it in Connecticut versus usually in Toronto which is I'm sure you have your pick of of current and former players who want to participate who spend their their summers back home in Toronto but uh tell us a little bit about um what it is and how it's evolved and and how you end up getting guys like Adam Fox and Chris Kreider to to cut short their their off seasons for a little <laughs> bit and come and come play ping pong uh for a crowd of that was a pretty good crowd all things considered for a pandemic yeah, it was. Uh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, first of all, they're great guys. Um, Foxy <laughs> and Crides and the rest of the guys that come out, uh, fortunate to be friends with and have known for a long time. And um, yeah, we had always wanted. So Smash Fest, for those who don't know, is my charity ping pong tournament. Uh, we've been doing it for nine years. Uh, this coming summer will be our 10th. We had we had all, always wanted to do it in the U.S., um, you know, start to expand it, do, do Smash Fest in more places. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic, obviously, we couldn't do anything in Toronto. We had wanted to do something in, in the U.S. My history with the Rangers and the area made perfect sense to try to do something in, in Rangerland. And so we threw it together. We had it in Stamford, Connecticut. We had a great turnout. Uh, of Rangers and other players that are from the area that you know play for other teams around the league, including Trevor Zegris and you know Charlie McAvoy came in. So there was 
Uh, it was awesome. Uh, past players, Marty St. Louis. So it was a stacked, stacked lineup uh, and a fun night. And we'll hope to bring Smash Fest back again this coming summer. Yeah, it's uh, it's become something through your work uh, and you know through the the I think that uh, it seems like the support of the PA um, that it's become kind of a a great identifier for the off season. And uh, I think a lot of fans always kind of look for the photos and, and the videos that come out of it. And especially, uh, like you said, having it in, in Ranger Country uh, this past summer for however however it happened uh, turned out to be a. a, a a good a good sign in the middle of the pandemic where people were able to come out and like you said you got a lot of good support from current and former rangers and hopefully and- this pandemic is behind us in the, in a few more months and uh, we can all kind of move on and get back to life in the way we want it to be let's hope um well thank you dominic moore former ranger former longtime nhl or current espn analyst executive director of smash fest thanks so much this has been great okay thanks arthur well, that's all for this week, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Garden Faithful. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five-star rating and review if you want. It helps us grow the show and lets us know you're enjoying what you're hearing. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. My thanks to Dominic Moore. I'm Arthur Staple. We'll be back again next week with some Rangers talk. See ya.